This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, Dave, just look at it. Look at my buttocks. Why did you sh- look at my buttocks? Did you wax? Did you wax at all? Hey, there is like twelve unclaimed canisters of turtle wax in this compartment back here. Somebody has to use them. But I'm more so looking. Is that a is that a mole? Is that a, what is that? What is that on my buttocks? <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. That'll seem so random if people have not actually seen the movie we're talking about this I week. I feel like we should have just irradiated it. Five levels down. Uh, welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm just embarrassed. And I'm the Machine. A podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its powers to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. We do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Um, and the machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the movies it asks us to. So today, we're going to be talking about the film, The Andromeda Strain. Not a thing, Dr. Stone, but you have it. The set you've just seen is the nerve center of a secret five-story underground laboratory, which is the star of The Andromeda Strain, my new film for Universal, which is based on last year's best-selling novel. It's the story of the world's first space-age crisis. Bodies. Lots of them. Stage stations. Hit that security button. We need a flyby over Piedmont, New Mexico. Infrared, a FLIR scan, all sectors. Film to come direct to scoop. Of course, we need to give a big thank you to our two patrons. This oh. might be new for you, Dave. Oh. Our two patrons. What? We have Green Girl, YYC, and the podcast. It's a conspiracy has also become our second patron supporter over there so if you want to join them see the see the different uh, write-ups that dave works so very hard on oh, and yeah. also the bonus episodes that we post there once a month then definitely you should go and check it out over there on yeah, our we Patreon should talk page. about february what are we watching in february to give them a little we might, taste we might uh we might find that out next week oh okay everything with you is a secret it's hard working with this guy. Interesting. Right. Literally, there is a document that you have access to that you could find out the answer right now. But, but then I'd have to read. That's Kyle. right. I think where we need to start here then, Dave, is two things. What is your history with Michael Crichton and then this movie specifically? So me and Michael. No, I. you know what? I was a big Michael Crichton Crichton? Yes. Is that yeah. is that acceptable I've corrected for you? your pronunciation a couple of times, yes. Maybe next you can correct his posture. So, uh, yeah. So, I was a big Michael Crichton fan. I think clearly after Jurassic Park, but I started yeah. reading his books because I used to be literate. And uh, I think from the library in high school, I, I got them all. So, I've read Andromeda Mysterian Sphere, Jurassic Park, uh, just the whole, I can't even remember. Uh, as many as I could get. And I liked them. I had a Tom Clancy phase, so... 
what the fuck's Oof. wrong with me? Yeah. Every, I, everyone goes through it. You don't have to be embarrassed <laughs> by it. You know, all you want to do is be like a spy and well, I don't know. want to be a spy or like a, like Become a Jack a dad. Ryan. You know, like a cool spy, an, unwi- yeah. an unwilling spy. Nobody wants to be Bond. You know, you hang out at airport bookstores and be like, am I going to read this? And then you forget it on the plane. It's your time Clancy phase. Actually, speaking of that, I had a Jack Reacher phase too. So. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Airline, airplane, airplane fiction, baby. <laughs> and then I think, the, you know, the 90s is a big uh, Michael Crichton adaptation uh, I, yes, era. I would, I would say so. I, I, I have not tracked it, but it feels like... The 90s was like the Michael Crichton decade where yeah. like the most of his stuff was adapted. If, if people don't know, he also developed the show ER. So sure. like it was big in the That's 90s. That's the thing. I don't know if you heard yeah. of it. It only made George Clooney like the biggest star in the world. But He's not even a doctor. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, well, he, he <laughs> is, but he never practiced medicine is how I understand it. Oh, he like went he to medical studied? school and he oh. graduated, it, but he oh. never practiced medicine is yeah. from what I understand. Him and Tom Hanks. Is there no, yeah. there's no dirt. There's nothing. He used to, oh, he was so going to be a doctor. I, I thought we were still talking about Michael Crichton. Oh, if Michael talking Crichton, about, yes. If we're talking about Clooney, then no, he's useless. He's okay, just yeah. a good looking guy. Well, he makes coffee. <laughs> or sponsors it. He drives around. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he looks, you know, pretty. I dated an espresso machine in college. I wonder what they are doing now. Sphere, Jurassic Park, Lost Jurassic World. Park. Yeah. Um, there's one I'm forgetting, though. There's another thing, Anyways, I think. It doesn't matter. I have not seen this movie, though. It was too old, and I didn't delve into 71 films. Well, apparently I did, but not intentionally. And um, I Actually, I, I, I was thinking about this here, too. This is another little sidebar, but just something that I was kind of thinking of interesting, which is, even though I feel like I've seen... Like a lot of older films, like films that were out before I was born. I think you definitely get, when you get older, it's like easier to keep up to date with what is coming out like right now. So when I look at all like on my letterbox, uh, particularly, you can see actually movies by year. And like there's this huge spike in like the late 2000s. Because yes, that's when I was going to university and then graduated. And then, you know, I'm seeing a movie a week-ish in theaters because that was my thing to do. Even though I've seen a bunch of 70s films, it's not like 1971 has like 50 films I've watched in it. It was like, I've seen four of these films from 1971 and maybe five from 1972. So I think going through a year by like an entire year starts to really color your perception. Like, oh, all these things were out at the same time. That's kind of interesting. They're already fascinating, like culturally impactful wise. Uh, This one, I don't think is going to be any different. Um, But yeah, looking forward at our list, presuming that I'd read it, which I haven't. And uh, I'm going to assume that we're going to hit a lot of these weird movies that we've probably never heard of even that have mm-hmm. some kind of historical significance. I, I wonder if you could say that for any year of any, any movie in any year, because you're making them for a reason. Yeah. I mean, I think what you come down to is, I mean, it's always going to be personal preference, of course, but there is going to be certain years that you think stand above other years right but i don't think there's ever been a year where i have not seen at least one like very good to great film somewhere whether i saw it that the year it came out is another point but it's like oh yeah like this indie film that i didn't watch until like five years later it's like it's amazing it's great i watch it all the time there's always something to find or it's like an international feature or something like that right if there would be a year it'll probably be in the 80s somewhere there's just something <laughs> where it's about not the, good yeah, yeah there's <laughs> yeah, if there probably. is one yeah 
86 um, or something. I name, mean, name a movie from 1986. It's weird. It's a weird number. <laughs> to, to, to throw shade a little bit, I do think, I forget what year. Now I'm going to forget the year. But I, I always remember like 2007 being like this really great year for film for me because there was like five to six like great films I thought that came out and almost like right back to back. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? But then it was like a couple years later, I want to say it was yeah, like 2009. And I remember like every movie I've come has either been mediocre or bad. <laughs> so it's like you just went through a stretch like this is a bad year this year. Uh, I, I'm kind of there with you with Michael Crichton. Definitely it was Jurassic Park was like the big jump start for me. You know, you watch that movie I'm like this is amazing. And I was like right at the right age, like still kind of into dinosaurs. <laughs> so I was like. This live in is Alberta. Cool. This is like dinosaur country. Of course. I mean, but I mean, Jurassic Park came out when I was 10. So like I was still like, you know, a little boy. I knew all the names of the dinosaurs, which Go I don't anymore. across the street to Drumheller. I'm pretty sure I know, you can just I know. walk there. Well, yeah, that was that was great. When we went to Drumheller on a on a trip in the summer, it was like amazing to me. And so then I wanted to read the book. So I read uh, Jurassic Park. I don't know. A few months after I watched the movie, I read a lot above my weight class. <laughs> back all right, then. Humble brag. Let's let's move on. Um, and I loved it. I remember really loving the book Jurassic Park and then the Lost World was also great. And then I was so disappointed by the movie, the Lost World, because it doesn't, except for the, uh, uh, RV scene of it, like falling over the edge. Like none of that movie is actually salvageable. What's in the book. (laughs) I mean, Jurassic Park Uh, still holds up. We just watched on Netflix and it's great. Masterpiece. What's wild is that Steven Spielberg makes Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year. Isn't that? Isn't that you know bizarre the, to you? Well, I'll give you a more bizarre thing. Is that yeah. the right way to say that? Uh, I just learned that when they were making Andromeda Strain, Michael Crichton took a tour of Universal Studios. And do you know who his tour guide was? Steven no. Spielberg. That's crazy. Right? That's like amazing. a young Steven Spielberg who's like interning or whatever, right? Right. And so they actually <laughs> he, met. He actually, they had actually finally given him a job because he used to sneak onto the lot without a badge and just like go and look at movies and stuff like that. Um, at least this is what the internet tells me. I can't that's verify. Right. We'll call Steven later. Just see what he says about that. I do have a history with this movie in that um, I had a roommate here a few years ago that they really liked this movie. And it's like, have you seen the Andromeda Strain? And I'm like, no, I've never seen the Andromeda Strain. And so we sat down and watched it one night. Oh, I've seen uh, it together. before. Okay. So I've seen it before. I've actually seen this movie before. But I was thinking about it. What's, what's wild is that uh, I cannot tell you a single thing that happens in this movie, even though I know I have seen it. And I know the exact date that I watched it on because I tracked it, of course, on my letterbox page. Weird. So I know the date I watched it. I know the rating I gave to it. And I remember almost nothing about this movie, except for I remember a scene happening in a red room. That's basically all I can recall from this movie. So not the uh, not the buttocks, not the buttocks. That didn't There's stand out to no, you for some mm-hmm. reason. The buttocks did not stand out to me. I don't not know why. But spread them, uh, spread them. So I'm I'm excited to jump back into it and see. Maybe is there a reason why I don't recall this movie? Or uh, so let's do that. I'm going to go and thank some sponsors, and then when we return, we'll be jumping into talking about the Andromeda Strain. Hey everyone, just Kyle breaking into the conversation one more time to tell you about some of the people that help make this show possible. First and foremost, thank you so much for doing the most important thing that you could possibly be doing today, which is watching the series finale of WandaVision, but also for doing the second most important thing, which is to listen to this episode. 
with vaccines rolling out now across the world. It's nice to just look at a fictional film about smart people doing smart things and hoping that that can replicate itself into the real world. All right, enough with my political commentary. Colin Day vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by the Calgary Foundation, proudly supporting community needs for 65 years. Whether someone is battling depression, fleeing domestic abuse, or worried about putting food on the table, it's times like these that inspire people to help others during a period of unprecedented needs. The Calgary Foundation is here to help. Through the generous support of donors, the Foundation offers a wide range of funding opportunities for organizations who share a common goal of building a healthy, giving, caring, and resilient community, one where everyone thrives. If you're part of a registered charity looking for a grant, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org and learn more about the Calgary Foundation on their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channel. This week we're also brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, so let's go and listen to one of our other great shows. Hi y'all, this is Ryan from the Eat More Barbecue Podcast. I'm just a guy that loves slow-smoked southern barbecue. I love eating it, I love cooking it, and I really love talking about it. I want to help grow the barbecue culture here in Alberta. This podcast is a great way for me to share the stories of the people involved in the barbecue community, like restaurant operators and competitive barbecue cooks. Along the way, I also visit with other folks like farmers, distilleries, breweries, and anything of interest to barbecue people. A new episode comes out every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep on smoking, folks. All right, Dave. We we went through our five levels. We've uh, we're we're ready to talk about this. We've got our skin sloughed off. What was in, in the most non-spoilery way possible? What are your impressions of the Andromeda strain? Number one, I I want a diamond helmet. I think that's important. Uh, <laughs> if that did not inspire Daft Punk, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I think I quipped to you during the movie that if I'm covered in skin ash, am I white facing? Is that a you definitely have a pale face. I don't know. It's it's it was interesting. It was very 1971. Yeah, there's no way around it. That's like this is a 70s film right. when you're watching. Although I will say, I mean, again, small sample size. We've only watched three films from 1971. I would say, bar none, that this is the best looking film that we've watched so far. Yeah, high production value. And yeah. as we'll learn about the director, I don't know how much the budget is, you'll tell us, but mm-hmm. apparently this guy was a master of uh, shoestring budgeting, like he's a very meticulous human being. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this pans out from a money perspective, but definitely this is an experienced filmmaker, Yeah. Uh, again, as we'll learn, who uh, understood the craft. It was an experience. Like I will say that I... In- enjoyed it uh it didn't make me make a cringe face or want to walk away but it's it's got very awkward moments uh just because we're in 2021 and how movies of this nature move now i mean it's it's pretty slow it's uh yeah, yeah it drags a little bit particularly the first hour and a half and then uh you know you get 30 minutes of some some action that describes this podcast very well that's my non-spoiler everything else i think will just we have to dig into what they're talking yeah. about. So, yeah. So, I guess I'm slightly similar to you. 
um, I have a feeling now that we might give this the exact same rating once again. But, I don't know why we'll you're see. surprised every time. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll see. Mostly because there's sometimes I'm like, I don't think David's going to like this very much. And then you sometimes surprise me. I think this film essentially is broken out into the, you know, your three acts. I think that the setup of the discovery of the Andromeda strain, whether it's a virus or a bacteria, they don't know yet. But that whole section of them discovering it, radioing in, going back to the town, all these dead bodies. I think all of that is actually very well done. A horror movie. You know, they, they get all the four doctors together. And then I think it comes to like this giant narrative halt <laughs> where they get to the facility and then they have to go through those five levels of decontamination. It's and like then an they're hour. finally, and if, and I, I didn't actually time it, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's like 15 minutes of them just going through room after room after room, you know, getting their, getting like a whatever, their skin sloughed off, going through like baths, like just walking around. I'm like, this is so uninteresting to me <laughs> that I don't understand why they're spending so much time on this particular point of the story. But I think later on the discovery of the thing is what's more interesting and important to get to they could have done all of that stuff in like maybe two minutes and be like yep they got went through all these levels boom we're here now we're trying to investigate what's going on that section made me question what the movie's actually supposed to be about like yeah. is it a horror movie about a virus or is it about decan decan like what it takes to decontaminate a human body or technology right. but i agree with you it because of that, you, I got very confused about what I'm supposed to be watching. Like, what am I watching for? Right, yeah. And, and then uh, just to finish that thought, like, the last bit is, is them, you know, discovering what it is, fighting it, and, 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 and the resolution. But I, there was actually a movie that I want to compare it to that is actually kind of different. But the reason why I want to compare them is kind of the process it goes through. And uh, I think it's somewhat similar to The Insider in that... Longer type movie that's all about kind of like the process of doing something. And in both cases, in my opinion, it's like these experts doing things really well and then just following that process. And the insider, it's like this journalist who follows his lead, is tenacious enough to follow up on it, isn't happy with the result and keeps fighting, fighting, fighting and eventually kind of wins the day to little to no fanfare. And in this movie, it's like these four scientists who are all are good at what they do and you are shown the process of how like actual science really happens of them testing things out, figuring out what the issue is, and then, you know, hopefully saving the day. And I, I there's something that I enjoy about that, that I just like seeing smart people doing smart things in a really well done way. But that middle portion man drags so badly. It just drags so much. Um, I like, Overall, I think I enjoy this movie, but it's never going to be my favorite. It's going to be kind of middle of the road for me. To spoil the lead a little bit, this is actually something that I am critical of the director, Robert Wise, in the later part of his career. Because if you don't know, one of his last movies that he directed was Star Trek The Motion Picture. Which, who oh boy, if you have not watched that movie, the first Star Trek movie, it is glacial how that movie moves classic is just like i'm pretty sure the docking sequence takes 10 minutes of them just docking a plane it's like oh my god like just do something <laughs> please do something i'm still waiting for you to do something with your life i was reading about uh the special effects coordinator pretty interesting life but um i think they brought him on to star trek because star trek's original the special effects company 
couldn't deliver any of the scenes. Mm. Uh, and so like he had less than six months to develop every special effect out of practical whatever. Um, and it might be one of the reasons why that movie looked the way that it did. But, you know, this movie too, I, I found out the same guy that did 2001 Space Odyssey. And you can, yeah. this is the thing, you can, you can kind of tell. Once you hear yeah. it, you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the special effects are whatever. I guess what I love about these types of films and that what we're going to really see in 1971 these are all practical effects, all in-camera shots. Um, yeah, the the uh, like computer interfaces, I think, always look goofy. And like that's not what it's going to look like. It's not even what it looked like then. So I don't know why they <laughs> developed them like that for the films back in, in that time. But climbing the ladder or uh, using those like little machines and stuff like that. It's like, well, that's actually happening. I don't know. There's something about that when I know that it's actually going on and not just composited through CG that is a little bit more thrilling to me. It's why Jurassic Park holds up because it's practical. Many of the practical effects hold that movie together. Helen's been complaining that I just spent all my time now watching movies going green screen, green screen. And she's like, what, what's wrong with you? I know we can, cause we're not losers. That's negative, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you can tell, right? I may or may not have been watching the, uh, 2018 cinematic classic Aquaman last night. Why, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and there are certain scenes of like, th this is just, this is a video game thing I'm watching here now. What is going on? Anyways, that's, we're not talking about that movie. If we ever talk about 2018 though, maybe we can discuss Aquaman here on the, on the podcast, Dave. That might be a good year to, to assess whether that was a bad year in film. Yeah. Any, any year a DC movie comes out, you have to start questioning yourself. We'll talk off podcast, but I have a hot take on uh, Batman v Superman. Anyways, not, not relevant to our discussion here today. This need a cut of Justice League is a masterpiece. Fight me. Let's get into it. Some of the backstory so we can delve into some of the deeper themes that the Andromeda Strain is doing. So the Andromeda Strain was released on March 12th, 1971. So uh, happy birthday, because that's uh, I think next Friday is going to be the birthday of that. When this is released when this episode yeah. is released dave deep and rich fiction i got it it is rated 7.2 on imdb it has a 60 on metacritic and on rotten tomatoes from 39 critics it's at 67 percent and uh rotten tomatoes updated its website so now it says 5,000 plus users give it 72 percent i don't know what the 5,000 plus means but that's mm. how they notate it it is available on dvd and blu-ray it can also be rented or purchased from iTunes, or if you're in Canada, you can also rent this from the Cineplex app. So if you want to use the is Cineplex a, app, you can. Is that still a thing? It is. Yeah. So its budget was actually fairly high for 1971. It was six and a half million dollars is oh. what the budget was for this movie. I think you can tell that this is a pretty high budget film. I uh, don't There's know about yeah, don't know about the opening and, and, and that sort of thing. I, I do know that after its run through theaters, it got $12.4 million or $79 million with inflation. Fun fact, this movie did not make as much as Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. So even though it had a higher budget, it uh, higher production value, it did not make as much as that movie. Sex sells, man. Its plot description from IMDb is, A team of top scientists work feverishly in a secret, state-of-the-art laboratory to discover what has killed the citizens of a small town and learn how this deadly contagion can be stopped. It stars Arthur Hill as Dr. Jeremy Stone, James Olsen as Dr. Mark Hall, 
Kate Reed as Dr. Ruth Levitt and David Wayne as Dr. Charles Dutton. Uh, anything you want to say about those actors, Dave? Yeah, uh, two Canadians, nice, which is awesome. Yeah, everybody here because of the era is the theater trained, so mm-hmm. you, you know they've got some chops, some Tony Award winners. Uh, just so that people know, who are the Canadians in that cast? Uh, you know, two of them. Yeah. <laughs> now uh, Arthur Hill, who played the lead, he like grew up in Saskatchewan. Uh, you might know in Melfort, Melfort, no. Saskatchewan. No, no, Melfort. Anyone? Anyways. Studied at UBC. And because these people are all from the, like, born in the 1910s, like, they all have, like, World War II histories. Fascinating. Well, they would, well, sorry, sorry. They wouldn't have been born in 1910. They would have been born in, like, yeah. 1940. Uh, no. Oh, well, the old Wayne's, guy, maybe. Maybe the old David guy Wayne's was. born in 1914. Um, Arthur Hill's born in 1922. I mean, wow. they're all pretty old. Yeah, they're all pretty old in this film. So, they must be, not, like, oh, I guess they're in their 50s, not in their 50s, 40s, 60s. like I was into thinking. Yeah, okay. yeah. And like people looked older back then. Come that on. is that is true. Like if something's changed in the four, water. Forty in nineteen seventy is like it's, twenty. It's in, like yeah. Um, or sorry, no. 40, that, forty in nineteen seventy is like eighty in like nowadays yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you watch those productions like they're supposed to be uh, teenagers, and you're like, nope, that guy's like, uh, that, is that not. guy's got kids for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that guy is smoking fifteen <laughs> packs a day and like has yeah, heart so, medication he has to take. This is something you'd be interested in. Arthur Hill won the first, is it the first Tony for um, something? But he was in the original production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. Oh, and interesting. Tony I didn't for know that. that. Yeah. That's that, cool. So, it's kind of a big deal. Um, I thought yeah, you would that would have come out. I didn't. Because uh, that would have come out in 1960-something is when Who's yeah. Afraid of Virginia Wolf, I think, came out. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Kate Reed. So, the character that she plays was originally a man in the book. It was, yeah. And, uh, Thanks for stealing and my thunder, but... Uh. Oh, fine. All right, I'll leave that for you, jerk. Uh, <laughs> she's also theater trained. She uh, grew up in uh, Toronto and went to an all-girls school called Havergale, which still exists, I think. Nice. Who knows? Uh, something I didn't actually mention in like the non-spoilery section, and maybe we'll get into this. Um, a, she is my favorite character from the movie. Yes. But I think it's because she's given something to do. I actually find the other three actors... It's like not that, that they're bad. It's just like uh, they're not wooden. given much of yeah they're wooden characterizations like there's nothing about them that makes them inherently interesting but regardless yeah we'll get to that too i mean it felt like they were trying to make uh what's the main doctor's name uh that's uh dr mark hall yeah hall uh yeah that he like the way they shot him sometimes it looked like he was going to be a conspirator right yeah yeah but then it turned out to be nothing david wayne the older guy won the first tony for a musical or something like that it's kind of interesting. So he's kind wait, of. What do you mean the first? Through. Wait, wait, sorry. The first for what the, musical? Hold on, let me just look. You didn't just say that, Dan, the right? first. The first Tony for a musical. It was like the first time a Tony was awarded a musical to a musical, and I don't have okay. the name of the actual show. I thought I wrote it down, but it was a long time ago because he's he's pretty old. He was born in 1914. The guy, the younger, the doctor, doctor, the medical doctor doesn't have a lot of info. It looks like he just kind of disappeared, which is kind of weird. I actually find that most of these actors, just looking them up, didn't really do a whole lot after this. Like, it's not like they had major films after this. I feel like they just, I mean, Arthur Hill apparently was a big deal and it's got a lot of credits, but not stuff that we're, you know, that stayed culturally relevant. Yeah, I guess. Or they went into television and stuff like that. Yeah, TV or to go back to theater. But it's like. I've, I've never seen this TV show or in some cases, I've never even heard of this TV show. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, he was famous. 
Arthur Hill is uh, most well known for Owen Marshall Counselor. I'm like, what the fuck is Owen Marshall? <laughs> like, who knows? The, no one watches not, this. Yeah, did not hold up. I, I actually, you know what? We should find it. We maybe should. it's really good. That's you know? who knows. Yeah, yeah. Maybe <laughs> that would really be the shocker punch. This is actually the best TV show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the best. We're such okay. entitled brats. This was written by Nelson Gidding, adapted from the book by Michael Crichton, and directed by Robert Wise. So the book, The Andromeda Strain, was published in 1969. Uh, although this was Crichton's sixth book, it was actually the first to have his real name on the cover. Before that, up until this point, he had been writing with the pseudonym of John Lang. Uh, and Crichton used the pen name John Lang because he planned to become a doctor and he didn't want his patients to worry that he'd be writing about them uh, in his scripts and in his books. So interestingly enough, Crichton does get an MD, but never practiced. Those early books, the ones that did not have his actual name on them, pure pulp books. Uh, and he knew that. Uh, he, he literally said these were things that would distract you on a flight that could be read in 90 minutes. That was what he was writing for. The thing about it is that he didn't actually want to become a doctor. He wanted to become a writer. He knew he wanted to become a writer, went to medical school because he thought that that was what you had to do, but really was writing in his uh, off time as much as he possibly could. But I mean, by the time he graduated, he like published six books. So it's like he was doing pretty well for himself. So he's in medical school. He reads the spy novel, The Ipcress File, I-P-C-R-E-S-S. They're all capitalized. I don't know. I don't know what that stands for. Acronyms. That yeah. was a big thing. Remember the Odessa file? That's a good, that's a good book. Written by Sorry. Len Dayton. Uh, do you know who Len Dayton is? Were you a Dayton no. head? No. Uh, apparently he's very <laughs> popular. I don't know. He's, he's written you a just bunch. just gave me such a sour look. You're like, that's disappointing. <laughs> uh, so it's, that book is about the Cold War, brainwashing, atomic weapons tests, that sort of stuff. Uh, it would actually also become a film in 1965 starring Michael Caine. Michael oh, Caine. Michael Caine. All right. We should watch that. Yeah. What it did, what, what they were doing in that book and what I think blew Michael Crichton's mind is that it was a fiction. It was a made up story, but it also featured real people like it was real politicians and everything around the outskirts. Uh, but a fictionalized story with uh, the protagonist doing, you know, real quote unquote things like it felt like this is something that could really happen. It's like for us. How Cherry Jones is a real character in a deep and rich fiction. So he's inspired by this, writes his own book called The Andromeda Strain uh, from doing his own research, publishes it, becomes a bestseller, and then Universal comes and buys the film rights for $250,000. Uh, but like you mentioned, they wanted to modify it somewhat. Specifically, Nelson Gidding, the screenwriter, pushed to have the character Dr. Levitt be a woman, because in the book it's a man. So Robert Wise was initially pretty unenthusiastic about that. It's like, wh wh why should we change this? But to his credit, he went and asked the opinion of a bunch of doctors. And he's like, should we change this character to be a woman? And they were like, yeah, you should. I think that's a great idea. So it was because of them saying like, it makes sense to have this character be a woman, et cetera, et cetera. So they do, they change it. And it actually, Robert Wise is now on, uh, on record as saying like that it was a good change because it's his favorite character in the piece. Getting himself specialized in adaptations, mostly stuck to television, but he had worked with Robert Wise before. The most prominent other movie was The Haunting from 1963, which is a pretty big, well-known horror film. Regardless, Robert Wise, in my opinion, has like this absolutely fascinating career because he starts his career in film at RKO as a sound and music editor. 
Uh, he then works his way up to become a film editor, working on a bunch of films, but also editing a little movie. I don't know if you know or have heard about this movie, Dave. Uh, it's called Citizen Kane. Hmm. That's odd. Sounds familiar. It's, it's tickling something in the brain. Tickling something in the brain. So he edits uh, Citizen Kane, nominated for an Oscar for editing. Uh, he then also edited Orson Welles' follow-up, the controversial The Magnificent Ambersons. Controversial in that Welles was fired from that movie when he was on vacation. So he never got, like, director's cut on that. And in fact, Robert Wise would go on to film additional scenes for that movie, put them in, change the ending of what the original movie was supposed to be about. A lot of people will still consider The Magnificent Ambersons one of the best movies of all time. Uh, but Wells had basically disowned that movie because they took it away from him. So he would go on to become a director and at first worked in the horror and thriller genre. His breakout would be the original The Day the Earth Stood Still. He'd get his first Best Director nomination for a film called I Want to Live, which was this biography of convicted killer Barbara Graham. So one did of the you, first women serial killers. Did you read about what he did to research that role? No. What did he do? So he, he's famous apparently for doing very in-depth uh, in research. So just like you talked about him asking the opinion of actual doctors mm -hmm. about a film about doctors, he decided he needed to attend a live execution to understand Jesus how Christ. to shoot an execution. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, great. I mean, this great guy is, me I called it in our write-up, method directing. I mean, this yeah, guy, really. like, he gets in there, man. He's like, oh, I got to shoot next. Let's watch Human Die. I yeah, need to make sure I get his accurate. around this. This is amazing. This is fascinating. So in the 60s, though, there seems to be like this hard pivot because he would go on to direct two huge musical adaptations. Hmm. The first was West Side Story in 1961. I've heard of that one. Which, I mean, I am like the Sondheim like fanatic, so like of course I know West Side Story, but like that Are cleaned you? up at the Oscars that year. Uh, he wins Best Director, and then in 1965 he directs The Sound of Music, that also cleaned up at the Oscars that year. It's wins great. him his second Best Director Oscar. But then his like the third part of his career is yeah, he would go on to do like these sci-fi thrillers, so the Andromeda Strain, and then Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And there's another one I'm forgetting. But anyways, he would and he would continue working up until the year 2000. So he actually, you know, was pretty prolific. The biggest thing about Robert Wise, and especially if you watch like The Sound of Music or West Side Story or even this movie, I am such a fan of how he actually photographs things. Like he loves like these wide shots. He, he actually very rarely does close ups for things like an interesting technique. So it's like always like I am f kind of further away. I want everything to be in uh, in the frame. And uh, really follows the action along of what's going on. Anyways, I, I just love West Side Story so much. And I think it's in part because of how he directs it. Because you're seeing everything and it's not cutting every four seconds. It's like, no, these people are actually dancing and they're actually doing these, these feats of strength and stuff. I don't know. Why would you want to ruin Romeo and Juliet with all that singing and dancing? Like, just speaking about how important he was, he's like, wasn't he like uh, director of the Academy? He was, oh, he could uh, have been director of the director's guild he was like the top president yeah, he, of the, of the academy. i know he he's held like, a bunch of offices uh, yeah, i think one deal. thing that does also need to be said like especially his noir work like the first part of his career deeply influential for stanley kubrick uh quentin yeah. tarantino steals a lot of those techniques and stuff like that too what that doesn't quentin gets, tarantino but, steal okay, true enough let's do but, an episode about tarantino <laughs> really i, I uh, got some got some opinions about that guy. but yeah robert wise like a wild weird career i think but yeah, basically he did these three very specific parts of his career. 
it's wide because it sounds like he studied his craft and tried not to get pigeonholed. So he sounds like a really interesting dude. Um, if he wasn't dead, we should go out, have a coffee with him, just figure yeah. out what he was thinking. Yeah. But he is well and truly dead. So <laughs> been so for like 16 years, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Just start a seance, get a Ouija board. Ouija, a Ouija. Is that still a thing? Yeah. Ouija. Dave, let's get into some spoiler talk here. So where do you want to start? Like what, uh, what do you think we need to unpack about this movie? Well, I think we have to start with uh, UV lighting your, your butthole. I, I mean, that's an attention to de- detail. I, I mean, as much I mean, as that I drag. Have pay, I have to pay 150 bucks for that nowadays. So I was, I was surprised when they started the five-level decontamination that A, that it took so long. Yeah. But B, like they really wanted to show what it would take to truly shed any potential growing ground of yeah. bacteria. Yeah, I don't know. I, to your point, like it starts off and I thought it was going to be a horror movie. You know, sort of like zombies, and and it and it was for like the first fifteen minutes. There you can tell that that's kind of where he cut his teeth on was doing those types of horrific films. It was hard to understand the tone of the movie from there on. So it starts off, and I I started thinking like this feels a little bit like a high budget B horror movie. Mm. You know, you got these random guys, the radio call. There's a man or there's somebody coming and screaming and you're like, what the fuck am I watching? Well, I mean, to, to, I just want to pick up on that point very uh, specifically because you, you talk about Robert Wise being able to work with shoestring budgets. And it's a it's no wonder like he was probably like so beloved by studios because I think he was effectively able to wretch uh, that tension without feeling cheap. Because I think you're right. It feels like a B movie, but with like a big budget behind it. There is that at the beginning when those two people are sent into the town and you just hear them, their voices on the radio and you don't see anything. It's just their voices on the radio and the reactions of the people in the command center. And I was like, what a great way to introduce what's going on because that's what it would feel like to be in there. It's like, we don't know what's going on until our scientists arrive and start to investigate. That's the thing. It's the ability to actually put the audience in a tense situation and feel the suspense because you're in the control room. So you have to guess instead of watching, mm-hmm. presumably like a slasher flick, you know, somebody getting right. their throat slit. Um, although it is quite uh, visceral once the scientists get in there and that was oh, yeah. unflinching. I was at first uh, a bit disappointed when uh, the soldiers arrive at the doctor's house and his wife is like this awful plastic cardboard cut out of a right 50s right. housewife but that's why it was so amazing when they brought in the female doctor who's like this total badass she didn't give yeah. a fuck about anybody it's awesome to just chain smoking and like yeah. whatever and uh and it had a personal significance to me because throughout her whole uh degradation of her psychological problem like this woman has epilepsy and it turns out she has epilepsy because yeah. i'm like i know this i mm-hmm. feel this it's shot well i'm sure that uh robert weiss Went and uh, hung out with a lot of epileptics because it's <laughs> maybe yeah it's done really well. Like um, you know, having those local focus. We won't get too much into that, but when she starts spacing out, um, I've lived that. It's fucking weird. Should I start using flashing lights more? But like we said, we get we build it up really well. They they assemble this secret team. There's a part even with the 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 cheesiest parts visually are the uh, cockpits with the with the pilot jet fighter po- uh, cockpits because it felt like what was that marionette like Thunderbirds or whatever there's right, something right. little car- uh, cardboardy about that 
But yeah, they assemble the super team and they get into their suits. And once they get into the town, it's actually quite enthralling. Yeah. Because going around. there's dead bodies. They, they're showing dead children, animals. Like they don't, like it's a real, yeah. um, real tragedy, a real problem. And really like the, like the cutting of the open and like their crystallized blood like flowing yeah. out. And um, again, right. that process comes into play here because it's like, we've made fun of it here a couple of times, but like the look at this buttocks, like if, if this is a dead body, the blood should pool at the yeah. bottom of it. And there's not, there's no bruising. So what's going on here? And I'm trying to figure that out and then cover what's going on. And, and it was gruesome too. Like, you know, the, the woman that committed, like hung herself off the, off mm-hmm. her band. Like they don't, it's unflinching. The only cheesy part is they have the beautiful woman. They like zoom in on her breasts, her naked yeah, breasts. I mean, I know, that's a little gratuitous. Twice, I think they do the cutaway. They yeah. oh, And it was interesting. It's so 60s. The uh, cutaway portions, it felt like uh, like a TV show. They, mm. That became a bit of a trope for spy TV shows. But it, I mean, it's awkward too. You know what I hated the most? Were those stupid uh, cutaway scenes or like the, the captions and the sound effects for that, oh. like the first half. And the black line black and lines. the news crawl. It doesn't actually even go across the whole frame. And <laughs> they, they, up, they yeah. put this like ear piercing shit, you know, like sounds. And, yeah really took me out of the narrative. I kind of just wanted to turn off the movie whenever that happened. I will say, I guess your mileage will vary. It's This movie is somewhat well known for part of its editing because of like the split screen stuff it's doing, uh, where it's like three different images up on the screen at the same time. Um, And I think that's actually kind of effective in a few different cases. Like kind of the very first time it happens, they're walking and then like the black line comes across on the right hand side and then another image flashes up on on the right. So somewhat innovative at the time to be doing something like that, which I think is now used or parodied quite a bit. So people are just used to it. Yeah, YouTube uses it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you also find it a little bit confusing, like the cutaways with the Senate hearings? And I, I couldn't frame... The political um, no, idea I mean, of it. I, maybe I would have it uh, the first time I watched it. I guess coming into it, having seen this before, I was starting to remember things as it was going along. If you look at the at the dates when they do pop up, you can see pretty quickly. It's like the main doctor, Hill. I keep forgetting. Hall. Hall is in a hearing. Is that the future? A, a congressional hearing, which is the future. 1971 is the future, and 69 is when this actually happened. So oh, when they I flash see. back to 69, it's like, this is all happening back then, and now in present day, they're talking about it to this committee hearing. So that's basically the framing device, is that they're all back there talking about it, and then flashing back like to what, happened. what actually happened. You see, like, I missed that. You know, there's only one sort of narrative voiceover when the alarm machine fails. And that yeah. came out of nowhere for me. And I was like, why Why is somebody talking about something that's happening in the past tense? Yeah. Yeah. So once they assemble the super team, you know, I don't know if this is already sort of, a, again, a trope about driving in a hidden road in the desert to a <laughs> secret lab, you know, like 50 stories underground. If it's I not, feel like that was like a pretty. Yeah, I would say that's probably like a '50s sci-fi trope, almost uh, something similar to that has happened before. But and then as soon as they enter the facility, mm-hmm. you know, you get this. It feels like an hour. Um, it's not just the decontamination. It's like talking about how the system works and the key, yeah. weird keys, and then the odd man hypothesis, which you know I kind of was on Wikipedia. It was turns complete out, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, it was like meant to be bullshit. And then it feels like bullshit when he's bringing it up, but you're right. like, maybe just, this is a part of the story. Just in case people are listening and have not seen the movie, the was it the No Man 
the odd man out. The odd it's man like out hypothesis. Hypothesis is what they call it. They yeah. make it sound like it's an actual thing that people should know. In and of itself, what it, what it means is that people that are not in a relationship are more likely to not just people, single men who are single unattached, yeah. were the most rational. Are the most rational people, yeah. which is like that sounds made up, <laughs> which it is. It's not. It's not based on any type of fact. Well, I, I think what I read. I mean, what I have to read the book is that. It's meant to be that in the book too, yes. that the whole thing is fabricated so that this one guy has to burden, shoulder the burden of potentially allowing them to blow up or not. An entire town. Yeah. So yeah, that part is, oh, I don't know. It's hard to get through because that's what made me question, like, is this supposed to actually be an anti-technology movie or like, a, and I think it's all like, a, I think there are pieces of that everywhere, but that part's a bit of a drag. Uh, and that's the only part that, that part's uh, survivable. You, you can get palatable because of Kate Reed. Her talking shit about the whole thing and hating it with us makes it something we can go through. Uh, but like you said, I think that could have been a, a two-minute montage. Uh, I don't know if we need to spend like I mean, him, like the doctor flirting with the voice. And I, all I know. Stuff. It's like none of this is anything. Like it, it never goes anywhere. It's never referenced back again. There's no like payoffs to any of that type of stuff. This gets into like some of my other major criticisms, which is like, I think it's a little bit disappointing. And I mean, I think it's just because Michael Crichton was so enamored by spy fiction, but it feels a little bit too cartoony for me at the very end too, of them having to turn off the alarm. It's like, there's no none of these uh, keys down here on the lower level. Like, well, why not? Like, I don't understand why there isn't. <laughs> that it's seems like a Star like a, Trek episode. It's like again. a huge yeah. design flaw. Like, it's like the only reason that it's not down here is because the plot doesn't want it to be down here, and it feels it feels a little bit cheap. So there's that, and like climbing up, and the lasers hitting them. It's like if this was a James Bond movie, I'd be way more forgiving because like, okay, that's the type of movie. But up until that point, it hasn't really been. It's trying to be that. very real, yeah. And it's like, it's like okay, now we're we've gone off the deep end to something completely different that I don't think this movie set itself up to be. So it feels a little bit weird. I wish that some of the actors were a little bit non-wooden. I don't know how to fix that necessarily, but I think. Just like Kate Reed having those, like she has epilepsy and like she has a bit of a personality. I wish that they had given some other stuff to the other people to do at least something. It's like some defining characteristic. Maybe this person is like obsessive compulsive or this person over here is whatever. And then use that inside the plot itself. Not that I want the decontamination scene to be any longer, but if they had made that scene about the four of them having different reactions so that we could build right. up how they approach difficult situation but it's only two of them that you watch even really it's just the one doctor flirting yeah, really. with the voice and, and getting you know uh, naked and dipped you don't really see anybody else go through it and the two older characters uh, they're so laissez-faire but they're like this is just what you do we'll meet you at the bottom and then they pop out of a door it, it is kind of weird because uh, yeah. You, yeah you don't get that grounding who these other people are and it, and it becomes unimportant at the moment but it should be so important by the end when they all have to panic because everything goes to shit they even do that some of the camera tricks where it seems like the main doctor is going to be this like conniving person who actually like maybe designed the virus and the whole thing is about how he's trying to create a bio and then that's not at all mm -hmm. what the movie's about by the end and when they finish the congressional hearing what is this really about? it's not even yeah. about anything well yeah i i want to delve more into that here in a moment just the last thing just about plot stuff before we get into talking about themes i'm like 99.9 .9 sure we watched them kill a monkey in this movie oh yeah the monkey's dead whatever they say you know i mean there's that you... little flashing thing at the very beginning it says like 
uh, whatever, uh, I think it's like animal scenes supervised by whatever such and such a company. And I'm like, does that mean that like no animals were harmed? Because that's not what it says. That's not what the descriptor oh, says. Harmed, yeah. But because yeah. I'm very sure that they killed a few rats and definitely that monkey was gassed to death because it's pretty brutal watching that happen. That was the funniest moment for me. Did you read how they how they allegedly did that? No. The the monkeys suffocated. They took the oxygen out of the tank and they put in carbon dioxide. And so it's actually suffocating to death. And then they resuscitate, allegedly resuscitated after. Allegedly, and just yeah. like, so it died, right? Like uh, whether you successfully brought it back to life or not, you still we watched it. a monkey suffocate to death. I find it like, A, that scene would never happen in a modern movie. Like, it would have all. to be CGI. Andy Circus would have to figure yeah, it out. Andy <laughs> Circus would have to be that monkey. But I don't know. It was pretty distressing to me. I don't know. It, it was really awful because. Yeah, uh, cute, cute. I don't care about the rats. Kill as many rats as you want. <laughs> honestly, I'm so like deathly afraid. I'm so deathly afraid of mice and rats. <laughs> as like, just kill them all. I don't care. But for the monkey, because you can see it, it's gasping and it's like trying with its hand to try and get out, and, the, and yeah. it like collapses. I'm like, uh, this feels wrong to be watching this. Yeah, I don't know. I I felt, but you know, uncomfortable. Back in the 70s, we didn't have to give a shit about any of this stuff. I, you know, last week we talked about Mary Van Peebles uh, yeah. getting. Uh, raped by a hooker in a film so this is just par for the course par for the course i can't I wait guess. to next week when we see another depiction of some brutality yeah, that's we actually just, happening on the screen <laughs> we just like you know drove this truck over a small person whatever it was the 70s man actually yeah i'm sure when we hit like french connection we'll probably notice that someone actually died while <laughs> filming the yeah but yeah, I guess to your point, though, of like what this movie is about, like, do you have an answer for that? Is there something that you say, like, I think this is what the movie is trying to do? I don't know. I, I think trying to put myself into 60s, 70s Cold War psychology, you get the paranoia of thinking about what the next weapon is going to be. Because, you know, they they reference the nuclear weapon all the time. They're trying to nuke the town. The the bomb that's going to blow up the base is a nuclear bomb because now we know that it er allegedly eradicates everything. Uh, there's a level which I think this is about chemical and biological warfare, but it isn't really because they don't really actually delve on it. And the the disease itself is essentially not benign, but it's not created by people and it's not meant to target a certain group. It's just this thing that came from space that's like a crystalline structure and then mm -hmm. conveniently evolves to not harm anybody, which right. is such a fucking cop out. I thought maybe it was about the fallibility of machines, but then it turns out the humans fuck up everything. So then is it about how machines are more trustworthy than people, but then they kind of throw that out because they both screw up by the end? My vote would be yes. I was hoping it might be this intrigue about this doctor actually manipulating everybody, but they throw that out at the end. I, well, I, I, I do know. think it, it, one of the things that it's really trying to lean on is, in a way, like trust science, right? Like if we go through the scientific method, if we test different hypotheses, if we look at the data, crunch the numbers, if we have these experts involved, then we can make quality decisions. And I think that's what it's trying to lean in on, which is why I find it so interesting to discuss this movie in the context of present day where it seems more and more expertise is vilified, where if you are an quote-unquote expert, well, you're talking down to me. Or it's like, well, I've read a Wikipedia article, so I'm basically the same level as you, even though you've spent like the last 20 years of your life literally researching this. So This is, this is how our podcast operates. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're the expert and I'm the person throwing bombs. Yeah. I don't know. I, maybe there's a, in hindsight, a reflection that we've always been this way and that human yeah. beings don't respect rationality. But there's also something essentially human about it because the scientists all kind of fuck up at the end too. And they're at risk of making rash decisions and failing consistently. Um, maybe that's the real interplay is that you needed four of them or like not just one person uh, to kind of balance each other out. And, and I think that that's what would make this movie go into like the great movie is if that is really what they leaned in on. Like all four of them, incredibly talented, smart, but all coming at it from a different angle and pushing each other to actually discover what the solution is, right? Where it's like, I'm sure it's this, you think it's this, you think it's this, and you think it's this fourth option. So let's figure this out. And we're not, manipulating the data or anything but it's like okay no we've discovered that this is actually what it is even through our disagreements uh even through us pushing each other and we can accept that because we all understand like this process that we went through is now telling us this thing listening to you, you i realized that's probably in the book and Maybe. they are trying to show up because all four of them start off with their own field mm -hmm. and bias and interpretation of what this thing is but uh, as we're talking about, it doesn't play out in the film because, uh, I don't know, I, maybe it's the performances are uneven. I mean, as many as the two older guys did win Tonys and shit, they were the worst. Like they weren't bad actors, but they just couldn't really well, other yeah. than one dimensional approach. Like they were just these stern men who just know yeah, what's I, right. And I personally think like, again, having not seen them perform in anything else, I have no other basis for this. I feel like this blame may go either to Michael Crichton's original book or the adaptation of them just not really being given anything to do. Because really, they're written to be stern men, and they're played by as stern men. But they're not really given anything else to play around with. And he said, like, well, here's your lines. This well, is the scene. Well, they had the line with the older scientist about how he's talking about, uh, he has like that evolutionary thing and mm -hmm. about, I mean, he has this part where he's going to die because he thinks he's been infected there there is something yeah, there for him to that work with it's just he's not even that bad in that crisis scene you know when he's sweating out and trying not to get dead <laughs> <laughs> don't uh, get dead folks i don't know don't knock it until you've tried it he actually has a lot of that scientific uh, scientific critic critical thinking uh, throughout their new discoveries and he's kind of like second guessing them all the time with his own weird theories but they don't it's just not there not in yeah. a way that i could digest and that might just even be a movie thing because movies are so visual and yeah when uh, you get these overly intelligent dialogues sometimes you just zone out because you're like you know maybe i'm not supposed to understand what they're talking about you know yeah. Yeah. crystalline structures and these uh it has the same chemical components like yeah i studied high school chemistry and I remember the word organic compounds, but fuck, I don't but know. I don't know. Sure. You could be, yeah. you could literally you be speaking like, yeah, complete nonsense. I'm here because I, I want you to know. show it to me, right? Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to have a book. I don't want a notebook, right? I, no, what I feel this is, I think that response, by the way, because I, I agree in, in essence, which is like movies should do a lot more show rather than tell in those types of scenes, because the vast majority of people are like, sure, like, what well, I don't know. But at the same time, there's this trope that happens that I hate so much. And it's just a weird thing for me is I hate when people are like, explain it to me like I'm in third grade or like that <laughs> line that people are like, like, you're a scientist. Why would you ever say it? Anyways, it bugs me so much. Like, yeah, but explain it to me like I'm this. I'm like, well, why? <laughs> like, you, you should be smart enough to know what this person is talking about inside of this scene. I think from a special effects perspective, that was one of the most interesting parts is that they do 
uh, find a way to show an evolving crystalline structure. And so it becomes visually um, important. You know, the first time, I mean, it's a little cheesy because they had to do it with uh, uh, practical effects. But the first yeah. time you're looking at that green blob and then the screen goes, and you're like, what the fuck? And then, yeah, you yeah. know, they do that bit where they think she might be hallucinating because right? she's yeah. clearly got problems. And then every time they cut back to it, it grows a little bit until they can isolate the uh, molecule, maybe. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting to this point that it's you're getting shown as well as the dialogue, that this is a an alien thing. This is not something you're supposed to understand. It's visual structure. It is growing. So there's fear. But again, there's, I don't know if we're expecting too much because it's 2021 and we're bombarded by pseudoscience and information yeah, and all true. this stuff. I don't know. I just feel like I, I just really agree with you in the fact that I think that the ultimate resolution feels a bit cheap when it's just like, oh, actually it falls itself seeding? to not, to not be, it's going to hit the ocean and it's going to like dissolve itself. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's not as enthralling as say like them figuring it out and them going and uh, like giving a um well not even a vaccine in this case but like something that actually causes it to not replicate itself anymore and that's what saves the day it's like actually if we had just waited this all would have just you know been fine it's yeah as soon as they said cloud seeding i'm like we do that for hail like i I don't understand uh how that's an important scientific approach. Even that becoming benign is such a cop-out, like for the type of uh, narrative it is. You know, there's an evolving creature that it turns blood crystalline, that eats uh, jet fighters, masks, yeah. and skins. And then, you know what? At this point, it's just, it's fine. It just walks away and, and you know, everything's going to be okay. It just didn't feel fulfilling uh, for a thriller. Maybe as a science book, if you're researching how evolution works, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's that's a thing that might happen, but I don't care. I, yeah. At this point, I've seen so many dead things. We need to kill this fucking thing, right? Yeah, let's so do it. So maybe you need to it. nuke it, right? Uh, even though they were taking that out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Or use those lasers like in the hallway and you just got to like laser them. Yeah, laser yeah. it. <laughs> uh, a couple last things I have written down here. One, I think it's interesting. I, I think you can tell uh, once again that the original story was written by someone probably in the medical field or understanding of science because there's one of them that says don't make the president think that we're wizards and i think that's such an important line because like we are not miracle workers here we have to figure this out and we can give our opinions and our solutions but it's not like it's a magic bullet even if we discover what this thing is or we can kind of just for sure figure it out so i think that that's important to like (laughs) have as a base claim it's like we can only do as much as what we understand and what we can figure out. And the other thing, I think it's trying to very subtly, we're in, of course, the middle of the Vietnam War here, but we're also in the middle of the Cold War. So I think we have to remember, too, that there's these two things that are battling with the world's psyche and especially America. But they're, when they're going down on the elevator, he's like, I can see why kids are dropping out. Maybe we should, too. Like, there's there's that idea. It's like, is this even worth it to try and do this type of thing? No wonder the hippies are like just smoking up and, and dropping out. So I think there's like these hints and very, and very surface level uh, cultural commentary. And then that it gets kind of abandoned by the end. But there's, I think there's some stuff in there that's kind of interesting. I read uh, one thing, which I think I didn't notice visually, but uh, I don't know if because Michael Crichton was on site or this was just something the director noticed, but Apparently, how they deal with the seizures, like, so apparently when Kate, is it Kate? Oh, I can't remember her name, but when the female doctor actually Kate has Reed. the, Kate Reed has the full, at the time called grand mal, now we call them tonic-clonic seizures, 
apparently the doctor actor puts his foot under her head. And I think that's apparently a, a medical thing because we we uh, yeah. will have a full body spasm. You can actually get a concussion. So like little details like that are fascinating. And then the other thing that I loved about that part is um, they're trying to just throw in a little bit of the stigma stigma around uh, dis- like physical disorders. Mm-hmm. So there's this uh, abstract disease which nobody's actually seen really, like the other workers in the facility. She's having this seizure, and everybody's like, she's infected, and they all right, run away, right. and nobody they will help out. her. Yeah, I love that part because I'm like, that's how people experience these things. Because it, never mind epilepsy, if anybody's sick, you know, puking somewhere or like has lesions, our first instinct is to assume the worst and to run away. Yeah, yeah, and to run away from it. And the one person that knew what to do was a doctor, a medical doctor, who recognized the signs immediately. And so there are like little moments where you're like, oh yeah, this was written by someone, like you said, that knows how these yeah. things play out. I mean, and I should also say the other part that I actually really loved is like the mystery of it. It's like, why is this this guy who's like drinking uh, like squ- pure, pure alcohol? Yeah. Uh, Not screech, this, but yeah. Uh, it was Steno. Uh, that's Ste- what it is. Yeah. The stuff that you burn underneath Sternos, like buffet yeah. tables. Sterno, yeah. thank you. The Sterno drinker, old guy who's like off his rocker and this little baby who can't speak, which again, brilliant bit of little script writing. It's like the one person who could tell us can't tell us. And the guy who was like probably drunk and stuff like that also can't tell us about why he survived or what was going on. Um, so there's that mystery like, what do these two people have in common? And really trying to figure that out and then ultimately coming up with the solution like, ah, yes, I know what, what's going on. This is how I think we should get the book. I have a feeling like you're talking about the book really stresses that the four of them are fighting for their own explanation. And in the end- yeah. Uh, it's the combination of four different disciplines of science that, that right. solve the mystery, and you don't really get that in the movie as much. No. Uh, We're done here. All right. Well, the machinist told us that we have to wrap up here. So I guess we should ask those two questions that we always ask on this podcast. Dave, does this hold up, and do you think it is still culturally relevant? You know, my problem with this is I think it moves unevenly. So. I don't think that it's going to be an enjoy- like I didn't really enjoy watching it. I mm. I enjoyed moments of it and some of the performances, but I think it's too uneven for this to be a movie that people will enjoy watching in the modern day. And I think the way that it's structured, it's not that relevant anymore. What we've learned about biological diseases, how we approach science, there are um, precursors to like suggest that we haven't evolved that much, but. We've become so much more uh, paranoid. Is that a way to put it? Mm-hmm. Um, and with the internet and the way information is disseminated now, I, I don't know. I, I thought it felt uh, primitive in a sense, like the way they deal with this space virus. And um, so, I, you know, I just, I, I think it's kind of flat and it's remembered probably because it's um, whatever, trope forming. Like, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of science thrillers are based on this sort of rhythm, but. You know, if I never watch this movie again, I'll, I'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think flat is a good way to describe it. There is, so I, yeah, ultimately I don't think it holds up in like, do I immediately want to watch this again? No, I, I don't think I would seek this out to rewatch a third time, to be honest. At the same time, I, I like there are elements in here that I, could, I think would work in like an updated adaptation of this story. I mean, the the big thing I mean, we're still dealing with COVID and stuff like that. And I think that idea of like scientists coming together, trying to figure it out, coming with a solution, getting a vaccine, the 
further along in the storyline, of course, is going to be like then people being like, mm, I don't think so. I think I know better than what you're telling me that we should do that this movie is not interested in because it's all secret and it's becoming declassified quote unquote so no one actually knew what was actually going on in this storyline but i do think that there is elements of this of these themes that are still relevant today they're still being dealt with they're still being battled with but uh, the movie itself like i am definitely of uh, robert wise's career i'm going to be watching sound and music and uh west side story over this movie any day of the week. Like I haven't watched the day the earth stood still, uh, the non cano version, but I would rather watch that. I don't, what were the other, I mean, I don't know if they'll be better. Right. And I don't, you know, I don't like horror movies, but uh, I would be more apt to uh, look at his other work before returning to this. And Mm -hmm. just a quick, I mean, this is just being nitpicky, but you know what the other thing that's changed is like you brought up, this movie deals with a biological problem within the context of a military paranoia, but mm-hmm. now we have corporate paranoia. So right. we have scientists working together, but they're trying to build something they can sell to the world yeah, yeah. as a profitable vaccine. And, and as we're learning already, it's total garbage. Like they all compete. Almost, Some of them like, are like, almost like medical research should not be monetized. For a for-profit enterprise. Yeah. But, but you know what? We don't want to... Well, you know, the world's not wrong. I- I'm sure we're doing the Thanks, right thing. Thanks, <laughs> communist. <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, that's what I mean. I, I think the nuances have changed. And mm-hmm. our uh, definition of being woke is no longer about Area 51 and underground. I mean, we call those people crazy. Not because we don't believe that they're underground facilities, but who gives a shit? We've got to worry about Big Brother. There's other right? stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still will kill a monkey, though. That is still on the table. What was, uh, what was the Dustin Hoffman one? Not Contagion, but... Uh, Oh. Don't they kill a monkey in that one too? Uh, Outbreak. Like, Outbreak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Isn't there like a test monkey in that oh, one? I think so. It's been so long. It's been yeah, so long. Something. I don't remember. We should watch. We should have a viral, a viral video. Of, of other watching viral viral movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you two are the worst. Yeah. Everyone's going to click on that. Before we get into rating the movie here then, that's what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterbox page, letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast, and not usher in another apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as $1 per month. Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something you can do for absolutely free, though, is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to rating this movie, Dave. Out of five, what would you give The Andromeda Strain? I think I'm going to go with the two. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I feel like no matter how many moments I thought were kind of engaging, I think they're just bringing it up. But I, I'm i not sure if I enjoyed the experience as a whole. So, yeah, I'm going to yeah. go with the, with the two. Uh, for me, it doesn't get into that level of bad for me. Um, I always find like a two is a movie that I'm still going to remember <laughs> because of how much I disliked it. I've given it a three. Just a middle of the road three where there's going to be elements of this that I remember. But I think there is a reason also that I watched this movie five years ago and remembered nothing of it. <laughs> right. It's just like it's just like it's a movie that washes over you. And it's like that was something that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it's kind of right there. Now that is going to come to an average of 2.5. I know that we've only uh, talked about three movies, but the new thing that we're doing, even though the hard and fast rating would put it into the second position, would you personally rate this uh, like above Shaft? Like, how would you put it in that list of three? I think Shaft is a more important film. So mm-hmm. I would put it above Andromeda Strain. I think, like we discussed, if we were talking about you know, politics, philosophy, and, and sort of relevance, Sweetback's more important. I'll, I'll never watch oh, Sweetback yeah. again, but it's a much more important film than this. Right. Uh, so I don't, I mean, if, if, is that the question you're asking? Because yeah, Sweetback. Yeah, like where would you, put, would, would you put this on? The, no, I'll like, put it the at last? the bottom. It's just the most boring, like it's the, of the three. In terms of filmmaking, it's a better constructed right. visual spectacle. <laughs> <laughs> if you will, yeah. Uh, but I, I would, yeah, I would, I would watch Shaft um, quickly, and I mm. would never watch the Andromeda Strain again. So I guess what we are then coming up with here is that entering at the number two position is the Andromeda Strain. Well, let's find out what we're watching here next week, Dave. Push this button. Oh, well, we get to watch the Omega Man, a Charlton Heston movie. Damn dirty apes. Do you know anything about the Omega Man? I, I've heard the name, never yeah. watched the movie, and I think that uh, Charlton Heston is not past it yet, so uh, or racist yeah. yet, so as far as public persona. So, you know, I'm interested to watch this. Well, uh, not that I've watched this version, but this the source material has been adapted three different times. Oh. And you probably have seen the third version of this movie, which was I Am Legend with Will Smith. Ah. So, same story. Yeah. It's going to be the same okay. storyline as that movie, but last we'll get to watch this. Charlton Heston uh, did a lot of Last Man on Earth thing. Yeah, he did. He? Yeah. He's like Planet of the Apes, this, uh, Soylent Green. Like, he did a bunch of those types of movies. If anyone had the gravitas <laughs> to handle being the Last Man on Earth, it would have been young Charlton Heston. I mean, that man... I mean, exuded Hollywoodness. Him he and Burt Lancaster, Lancaster also, that voice. Yeah, also <laughs> talk about, like, people looking way older than they are, because he's probably, like, 50 in 1970, whatever, and he looks 70. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is what I mean. It's like, he looks so much older than what he actually well, is. I'm trying to remember um, Ben-Hur. He's probably 30, and he looks 50. I know there's some yeah, yeah. makeup, because he, he grows older, but he's never a child. He's not a cherub. He doesn't yeah. have a face How about that beard in the Ten Commandments? I mean, come on. Right? <laughs> yeah, it looked, you know, Moses, Moses rocking it. Yeah. Anyways, look at my buttocks here. Are you sure this isn't anything to be worried about? You know what we should do is I've got a lamp. It's uh-huh. not quite UV certified, but why don't we shine some light on it? I'd love and it. And just see what happens. I'm still waiting for you to do something with your life. 